0: 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it.
1: Hey, so,
2: I'm trying not to laugh. Don't y'all make me laugh. I'm trying to figure some things out, so I wanna know Who in the world calls the FBI about a college dorm room party incident? I thought you were supposed to call the local police about college party problems. (laughs) Who calls the FBI? That's what I want to know. But get this though. Okay. So a Clinton attorney claimed that he was at a party with Brett Kavanaugh in college And Brett Kavanaugh whipped out his ding dong and Brett Kavanaugh's friends grabbed his ding dong and put it in some girl's hand. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And So he reported this problem, this incident, 30 years later. So you call the FBI 30 years later. So you mean to tell me that you've been thinking about Brett Kavanaugh's ding-dong for 30-something years. <laughs> it sounds like you've been fantasizing. This sounds like one of your made-up fantasy stories. <laughs> Boy, bye. So, and then you are a Clinton attorney. You, we don't believe you, buddy. We don't believe you. Did y'all not learn from Christine Ford? Did y'all not learn from her? Did y'all not learn from that made-up story? Come on now. Y'all trying it again to get this man impeached? It's not happening. He didn't do nothing. Oh, my goodness. Who calls the FBI about a college party incident? Hello? Hello? Can I speak with the FBI? What's what's, what's going on, sir? I'm at this college dorm room party, and me and my boys, me and Connor and Jack we're Playing ping pong and, and and beer pong and uh uh uh, Kavanaugh just whipped out his ding dong. <laughs> what the FBI gonna say? <laughs>
3: Happy day to you. This is Lou Benninger, and you're listening to No Hostages Radio, and this is our 25th episode, and it should go online on the 21st of September, 2019. So happy day to you. If you're new to me, Uh, you're getting in on the beginning of this because we're just 25 weeks into it, of course, and uh, a fresh episode every Saturday morning, and we talk about all kinds of issues that are important issues, both politically, culturally, sometimes spiritually, and uh, we cover those issues from Northern California, where I live, and kind of have some skin in the game over here in Yuba County, north of Sacramento County in the state capitol and uh, on up to the uh, state and federal level and because everything affects everything right so things that are happening in the state capital can change the way you're doing business and and at the uh, state level of course and certainly at the county level they can make some really crazy decisions that can affect everything around you which uh, i've lived here in the uh, marysville yuba city area of northern california all my life and uh, i have seen particularly the city of Marysville, go go from a really uh, clean, healthy, vibrant city to a city now where you drive around town and there's garbage, uh, trash around. Hardly any lawns or shrubbery gets watered anymore. Cracks in the pavement, uh, potholes in the pavement, weeds growing up through the sidewalks, parks are not being taken care of, and uh, just... It's just a, a debilitating city. A They call it now extremely disadvantaged city, some people tell me. I didn't need those terms. All you need to do is drive around and see it's a, it's a neglected city. People still get paid a lot of money in government, but they just don't get much done. I was thinking about that this morning before I started the podcast, that you can have a person making $180,000 a year that really has no common sense, and and uh or a county administrator that has no common sense can't really get anything done themselves. They just hire expensive consultants to do things. So I'm going to talk about that some today. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, uh, you can reach me at Lou at no hostages radio. Hostages is plural. com. Lou, L-O-U at dot com. You can email me. You can phone me uh, or phone. I can't take a phone call uh, over the air off this cell phone, but you could text me at 530-713-1838. When you hear the message, obviously, when you hear this uh, show, I will not be around, um, but you could text me anytime. I'll respond to you anytime I get a text from you about a show, even if it's an older show. Go 530-713-1838. If you picked this up off your podcast source and you wanted to look at our website, you could, and you could kind of scan the other shows we've done. It gives a menu of each show, and as well as a couple articles I've written for a weekly newspaper here called The Territorial Dispatch. I write two articles per issue. Uh, So, there's that. So, that's uh, nohostagesradio.com nohostagesradio.com so welcome aboard Uh, we do have some sponsors that keep us in business we don't get paid to do this by anyone like probably most podcasts I'm not really an expert on podcasts but uh, we do have some sponsors I'll talk to you about in a bit Uh, so let me get into a topic here today Um, we in in this uh, county of Yuba one of 58 counties in California, it's a Northern California county. Uh, the The county decided. Uh, the uh, county administrator Robert Bindorf and five supervisors decided to put a measure on the ballot in November of 2018 to add one percent sales tax onto the 7.25 percent sales tax that the state of California was assessing us on every purchase. And um, the city of Marysville, which is the county seat of uh, of Yuba County, already had raised a 1% tax, as well as another very tiny city. These early aren't cities are, you'd call them a village. They already had added 1%. And so what's happening in California is the legislature has allowed local jurisdictions to add 1% up to 2% on top of the state sales tax rate of 7.25 or whatever it becomes, 8, 6, whatever, wherever, whatever direction it's going to go. So what's happening is when cities or jurisdictions, counties, or an agency adds on that amount, they get to keep that entire percent, that 1%, half percent, three-quarter percent, they get to keep that for themselves to spend it on whatever they dictate uh, in the ordinance that they're trying to get passed uh, they get to spend it on, 100% of that on that. So if they have a general fund tax increase because they just need more revenue in the county or city or whatever, they could just say this is a general fund tax increase. Or they can say, we want to raise millions of dollars to have the nicest parks in Northern California, and we're going to spend it all on recreation for our our constituents, and they could do that. If they have a special tax, it takes a two-thirds uh, vote of the public to get a victory. If they just want a general tax increase, it's going to be spent for all all kinds of stuff. um Then they just need fifty percent plus one of the vote, right? So fifty percent of the vote. Say if it was a four thousand people voting, they'd be, need two thousand one votes. If it's two thirds of that, then they need two thirds of four thousand. You got it. So what happened here in Measure K is they they. Uh, they pitched it to the public as uh, as a public safety measure, and they guaranteed that all the money would go to a public safety measure. They guaranteed that the money would be actually set aside in a special fund, and they said we're going to have an oversight committee to uh, make sure that the money's spent like we promised. And be, then the reason they had they say all those things is because politicians, particularly, are uh, are liars. They say one thing and they do something else. And, and, of course, we've learned that more from the state and federal government than from the local people. Because, you know, the local guy, you probably live next door to him. He's, he's a little more reticent or reluctant to lie to you straight up like that. But certainly at the federal government, state government, these guys in California are experts at saying they want $7 billion for, for, to increase water resources. And then they spend all the money on bike trails. And studying how chipmunks masturbate. Uh, they do not spend the money on resources, on water resources. I think on a recent bonds, they spent 12% or something on all the money they collected to increase resources. In the minds of the people in the state of California, that would mean they build a new dam. Uh, so they are liars and they are cheats and they're corrupt uh, and they're perverts. So when you get all that combination going, you really have a. Uh, you have a terrible leadership. Uh, I've learned uh, from a friend of mine that I worked with for 30 years that everything rises and falls upon leadership. At one time, I believed that as a theory. Now I watch that happen as a fact at every level, whether you're going to a church, whether you have a city, whether you have a baseball team, whatever you're managing, everything rises and falls on leadership. So on Measure K, uh, they the Measure K passed— uh, in november of 2018 with 53 percent of the vote that was enough for a general tax increase but they didn't portray it as a general tax increase they portrayed it as a fund uh, fundraiser for public safety everybody loves public safety it's a good way to get votes but even with a pitch for public safety they only got 53 percent of the vote now up in uh El Dorado County, they recently had a vote and they couldn't agree on how to pitch it, though they needed the money, according to the fire department, to add on some firefighters. They only got 38 percent of the vote saying we wanted to do that. So recently, a few weeks ago, Judge Stephen Barrier, who's a superior court judge, one of them of Yuba County, he heard... Uh, a, a suit the there were plaint the plaintiffs were the opponents of Major K who brought suit against uh, that would be Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association John Missler and Charlie Matthews who are two Yuba County residents they brought suit against Major K saying there was actually a special fund but uh, they they only uh, necessitated a fifty percent plus one, which is illegal. So when Judge Barrier heard that, he gave a decision recently saying that indeed he agreed with the plaintiffs against the defendants, which is the the uh, county of Yuba, and uh, invalidated the tax. Unfortunately, the tax began to be assessed in April uh, of this uh, this year, 2019. Even though the tax is being contested in court, the way that the law reads is that the tax can be assessed even though it's being contested. That's not true in all areas of referendums and measures. Like when we passed a law saying that you had to notify uh, the parents of a child before she gets an abortion, Uh, that never did get put into place uh, because it was— contested in court immediately and then it went to the supreme court and after a period of months months years years it got defeated uh at the supreme court of the state of california or nullified and it never did go into play so it's on this tax measures they go into um uh, in, into effect or action immediately so april they started collecting an extra percent for the city of the county of yuba and they the appeal democrat the uh Our local uh, daily paper uh, made mention. I think it was 1.2 or 1.4 million that they had collected, um, or 1.3 million, I think it is, in approximately 151 days or so. So the tax is being collected, and even though it's invalidated, it's still being collected. Uh, So now the county has decided to appeal Judge Barrier's ruling. Whether it takes months or years, we don't know, but the tax continues to be taken out of the pockets of Yuba County residents and any any county resident that's passing through here that buys anything from here, whether it's a car, or um, or any kind of an item, a tire, some oil, uh, shirt, or whatever, whatever's bought here that's taxable uh, is going towards that one percent staying in this uh, trust fund or. It's being held until this is resolved. The 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 sad thing about it is, and I wrote an article on the territorial dispatch, that the county wins even if they lose because historically what's happened is when these, uh, t- these funds have been invalidated or these taxes have been invalidated, the money that's been collected in the meantime, even though it's been contested from the very beginning, ends up going to the entity that illegally t- – that illegally framed in the election in in the beginning or in the first place and then taxed us illegally the whole time through. So uh, the longer that the county supervisors drag this out, the better off they are in terms of getting millions and millions of dollars from us. Now, one of the opponents of Major K did some math and figured out that right now, every day, that the supervisors drag their feet on a uh, subsequent loss at the appellate court. It's costing the citizens $8,000 out of their pocket. Now, if you've never studied economics, you should take an economics 101 class, basic economics class. You could probably do one online uh, with Hillsdale college, for example, or some online course for free. But you would learn that when taxes are taken away from the public, it actually removes capital or assets that people can go spend themselves and or go invest and start a business and make a living. So you can just say $8,000 a day times 10 days, that's eight, that's uh, $80,000 times 100 days, that's $800,000. It gets to be a massive amount of money right away. And so uh, sadly, when the... Uh, uh, supervisors who have no backbone. In fact, that the very the very way, it it's so um, it is so weak to say the reason they put this on the ballot was to just let the people decide. Now the people had no no interest and never voiced before the supervisors. Please, please, please put this on the ballot. The people never came to the supervisors saying, "What we need is more money." for law enforcement they never did that it was the supervisor's idea from the very beginning then they turn around and say well the reason we're doing it we're doing it for your own good you remember what president reagan said when the the scary thing is when the government shows up and said we're the government and we're here to help you uh you want to run the other way that's exactly what the supervisor said we're here to help you and you we're going to allow you to make this decision to tax yourself now that was a really uh spineless uh comment to make because uh it's like playing pool or playing a game on a slanted table. It was slanted against us or playing in a football game and and you always have to run uphill or you could say heads I win tails you lose because the way they depicted they paid this firm out of uh, out of uh, Oakland, California. That has made millions of dollars for themselves off screwing the public and deceiving the public. And what they've done is is they've they portrayed these different tax uh, increases uh, as uh, they, they pick a, a topic that they think, well, people won't vote against that. So they'll pick education and, and school kids, they'll, they'll say school kids will not be able to attend classes. Or you're not going to have a, when you call 911, the police or sheriff's not going to show up. Or uh, we're not going to have any sewage services and people are going to die of cholera. They come up with these incredible crises. So you think, well, my God, you know, we don't we don't like the way the government's been run. But, uh, you know, we can't live without that. We can't live without this. So they get them to vote that way. But they really don't. There's no guarantees. There's no legal guarantees in the um, in the ordinance that you passed to make sure that the money's actually used that way. So now we've like at state of California, we voted for like three different water bonds that we'll be paying that our tax dollars that go to the state of California, huge amounts of those tax dollars are going back to pay uh, 50% more on every dollar that, that we borrowed, right. Or two times Uh, look at your own house payment, how little goes to the principal. So, All the times we've set aside these monies, these bonded monies, these bonds for water resources, the the politicians just simply don't spend it for that because there was no guarantee in there. They'll say, oh, yeah, we're going to do it for this. We're going to do it for that. We're going to. There's no legal guarantees, just like there's no legal guarantees with Major K. So right now, each day that goes by, you can maybe you could keep track on your refrigerator. Eight thousand dollars a day. The supervisors are pulling out of your pocket and it's all going to go in their pocket no matter whether they win the the appeal or lose the appeal. Now, I believe that once they lose this next appeal, that may be the end of it. And then they could go back and they'll float another tax on the next election, for instance, the presidential election uh, in 2020, right? They could start all over and portray this thing all over again and go back even though— so the, they they've lost twice. The opponents of Major K had to come up with their own money to fight Major K. Uh, thank God for the the, the attorneys out of uh, Sacramento and thank God for Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association Association, which the county administrator, Robert Bindorf, mocked in the paper by saying uh, we had to go out and get these outside organizations to twist. Twist uh what the ordinance was, the twisting of the ordinance happened by the supervisors and Robert Bendorf by deceiving the public from the very beginning and the way the ordinance was written, and the advertising and all the uh the money spent in pamphlets going out to to rip us off now uh let me see if I can find this. I don't know whether it's oh i it's in my article that's why I can't find it I'm on the wrong page here. Now, let me let me just uh, read you something and see if this makes any sense to you. It's interesting. Uh, well, let me let me cover this first. And I'm going to go back to the uh, ordinance. I'm going to cover this. The if you ever wanted what the district attorney was supposed to be doing, the district attorney was also supposed to be monitoring illegal activities by politicians. Did you know that? Have you do you ever remember uh, Pat McGrath or. Carl Adams in Yuba City or any of the other district attorneys around here over the years ever prosecuting a politician for corruptions corruption. We we've thought that the Fair Political Practices Commission would do that, but it that's just my ignorance that I didn't figure out that they didn't do that and they didn't have any money or any enforcement power until I got into this major K thing. But I'm gonna but it says here article former Santa Santa Ana Councilman Roman Reyna Ordered to pay five hundred and seventy-eight thousand and fifty-three dollars in election fraud case. Now this ought to get your attention, because we got a, a an Orange County dis, uh, district attorney that's kicking butt down there, and his name's Todd Spitzer. He was elected last November. And he's, he's already putting people in jail for corruption. So um, we're at the end of our first twenty-minute clip here. Today we're gonna do. If you're new to this, we're gonna do six of these. And I'm going to play you a clip right now just so I can take a drink of water and give you a break from my monotonous voice. Uh, I'm going to play two clips, one on all these attacks on these uh, sports team mascots and also uh, the impact of, of the absence of fathers in the black community. Be right back. Don't go anywhere.
1: Washington Colonials, too offensive. Prospector Pete of Cal State Long Beach, connected to genocide. The Crusader of the College of the Holy Cross, Islamophobic. San Diego State Aztecs, racial harassment. Seriously? Yes, seriously. College students are now pushing for a rebranding of their mascots in order to avoid controversy. Often this involves students voting on the replacement of their mascot. For example, George Washington University students voted to rid the school of an offensive Colonial's image due to its ties to systemic oppression. A suggested replacement for Colonial's was the George Washington hippos. But wait, aren't those animals not native to America? Isn't that cultural appropriation? Changing a mascot at a university may help a handful of students feel better, but does it truly help the university to do better? The answer is simple, no. Erasing the horrific pages of our nation's history by changing mascots is not progress. In reality, it causes us to forget the obstacles and injustices that we've overcome. We can't change the past, the good or the bad, but the past empowers us to learn from our mistakes and to build a stronger and more prosperous future. So, are college mascots really that offensive? I don't think so. I'm Isabel Brown for Prager University.
0: The biggest issue facing black America is father absence. We have children that are growing up without their fathers in the home, and that is being incentivized by the government right now via the welfare system. When the government says we'll give you more money if you don't marry the father of your children, you are incentivizing bad behavior in our community. What happens when you remove a father from the home? This is why I do not mess with feminism at all. I'm not with it. This breakdown and mocking masculinity, making it seem like there's something wrong to be a man, all of this contributes to the breakdown of family.
4: Tupac Shakur, the late rapper, once said, I know for a fact that had I had a father, I'd have some discipline, I'd have more confidence. He admitted he began running with gangs because he wanted the things a father gives to a child, especially to a boy, structure and protection. Your mother cannot calm you down the way a man can, Shakur said. You need a man to teach you how to be a man. Children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. The Journal of Research on Adolescence confirms that even after controlling for varying levels of household income, kids in father-absent homes are more likely to end up in jail. And kids who never had a father in the house are the most likely to wind up behind bars. In 1960, 5% of America's children entered the world without a mother and father married to each other. By 1980, it was 18%. By 2000, it had risen to 33%, And 15 years later, the number reached 41%. Fathers matter. Until we have a government policy that makes that its first priority, nothing will change.
3: So we were talking about the Santa Ana councilman. Check this out. I was so like blown away by this article. Uh, from the Orange County Register, they used to actually be a part of the big chain of newspapers, of over 50 newspapers that included the local appeal Democrat. So it says, former Santa Ana Councilman Roman Reina ple- pled guilty Thursday to election fraud, admitting that he falsely claimed to have lived in his residence for at least 30 days before pulling papers to run for office. As a part of the plea agreement, Reyna was ordered to pay, like I said, over a half a million dollars. I'm just like, that's amazing. The money will cover the cost of a special election. Santa Ana will hold this November, uh, in other words, in just a couple months, uh, to replace him because he was illegally elected. So Reyna resigned from his seat earlier this year and legal fees, so he'll have to pay for the whole special election. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody's actually going to be held accountable and he's going to have to pay for the legal fees uh, to the civil complaint against him, which was an opponent. He's also banned for life from holding elected office. I think that's awesome. Uh, Todd Spitzer, the district attorney, said all politicians should take note of Raina's case. Spitzer said this is a change in our county. We're sending a message to the Orange County political community. If you don't follow the rules, you're going to be prosecuted. Reina resigned on March 1 as part of a settlement agreement to a legal challenge from his opponent. His opponent was Phil Becerra. So what happened is this Reina guy had served on the city council before. Then he got defeated, but then he, he moved around and he'd moved. So, for instance, in Marysville, you don't have to live. You just have to live in the city. But down there they divided up the area and you had to live in the right area. So he would lose in one area. Then he would go run in another, another area. For instance, he said first Reina won an election to the uh, council in 2012. He defeated opponent Karen Onofre uh, for seat uh, number five, ward five in 2014. He ran for mayor losing to longtime incumbent Miguel Polito. Uh, In 2016, Reyna sought a seat on the council, but he lost to Juan Villegas. Last year, Reyna ran again. This guy, he wants to be in politics, Mr. Reyna. This time he moved over and he ran in Ward 4, and he won uh, nearly 56% of the vote. But his opponent, Becerra, Mr. Becerra, uh, he filed a legal challenge, challenge arguing that Reina did not live in the district during the required 30 days, etc., etc., et, cetera, et cetera, before they became candidate. And uh, so this was the final settlement. Now, it's interesting that in Major K uh, fight, uh, it was an illegal ordinance. And uh, the interesting thing is that when I talked to the federal uh, sorry, Fair Political Practices uh, Commission, FPPC of the state of California, they said one of the problems we have about local people violating the rules is that the local prosecuting attorneys, the district attorneys, are not interested in filing charges. Well, in our case, when they did the town hall meetings on Measure K from from area to area in this 644-square-mile county, including rural foothills, uh, the the very district attorney that should be impartial and unbiased and watching over to make sure that things are done decently and in order, as the Bible would say, he actually endorsed the the tax and spoke uh in in favor of the tax. And now we have a judge out of the same county that's saying all that was wrong. And uh, he didn't make any comment about the district attorney. I'm making the comments about the district attorney. Why in the world would the district attorney, like I was reading uh, Kathleen O'Connor, who's another superior court judge in the uh, county of Yuba, was commenting uh, because she is not going to run again. And she was making comment that uh, judges have to stay aloof from uh, a lot of community activities so as not to look like they are impartial. Right. Or that they aren't that they want to stay impartial, but they don't look like they're partial to certain politics or racial issues or Democrat or Republican. In other words, they need to judge based upon the law, not upon party affiliation, religious affiliation. Right. Or anything else. And so I I think also district attorneys should do the same. They they should look. They should be in favor of prosecuting the law, not prosecuting personalities, right? But in this case, Pat McGrath, very interestingly, um, was all for and was outspoken on behalf of the Major K uh, ordinance, which was flawed. Now, here's the other thing that that has now come up, because people that are Philly that are familiar with or affiliated with government, and the uh, carrying out of the Brown Act, which is is an act that was passed originally in the 1950s, named after its uh, originator, Ms., uh, you know, Senator Brown, was an act that would keep the decisions and the debates of— uh, about the uh, ruling or the politics over the people it would keep it out in the public instead of the decisions made in the back room and then they come out and just vote on it and so but they so in other words they said listen we need to have public meetings whether they city council or school board meetings or county uh, supervisor meetings. they need to be public meetings where people can get to them where the people can hear their business being debated and and decided upon so they can they can remove those people from office if necessary. The exceptions to that would be they could go into closed session to discuss, say, lawsuits where they would they would discuss strategy and uh, it, sensitive issues that they didn't want to uh, get crosswise legally with people that were suing them by making comments in public. So they would make, uh, they would have discussions in private and then they would come out and let The people know their decisions that took place in uh, private. So um, following, uh, you know, this Major K fight had been a very public fight. In other words, the the supervisors did a public vote uh, out in the public and they voted to uh, unanimously to put this Major K on the ballot. Uh, There had been a public campaign, just like you would if you're running for any office or if there's a major proposition. It's a very public campaign. There's a public campaign. There was debates. There were people that um, they had town hall meetings. There was a public vote in November. I believe it was November 6th of 2018. And so then when there was a public trial uh, about the invalidation or validation of the measure, uh, people could attend that. The judge ...ruled against the county, but then the the county supervisors needed to to make a decision, are they going to appeal this or not? Instead of doing that in public, after all this public discourse, they went—because people were shocked that the supervisors so quickly were able to uh, properly note, because you have to let the people know ahead of time what's on the agenda— they, the county attorney had began putting that on the agenda, in in the event that the judge made a decision, and then they'd have to decide on it. So they put it on the on the uh, county agenda, and and nobody really responded to that county agenda, uh, wanting to debate this because they had no idea that they were going to address it that quickly, because the judge just the day before had made a decision to invalidate it. So instead of having a public debate, which they did when they put it on the ballot initially, right? They had a discussion. Do we want to put it on the ballot? Do we have a motion? Do we have a second? Who votes yes? Who votes no? Instead of doing that again, they went into closed session. And then they came out and said, we're going to appeal it. Now, people had a right to go to that meeting and be noticed that they were going to discuss this in open session so they could actually stand up and say, Hey, I don't want you to waste our money at eight thousand dollars a day. That's eight thousand more a day. They've already spent several hundred thousand dollars of our tax money, and instead of having they to me they violated this if they didn't violate the legalities of the Brown Act, they violated the spirit of the Brown Act and ripped off the public once again. They just can't seem... You know, it's interesting They think, oh, it's all about I want to serve my constituents, but they're doing a disservice to the constituents by the way they're going about this whole situation. Now, it's interesting. I wrote two articles about this. One's lawmakers and lawbreakers. You can look at them on on my website at nohostagesradio.com, or you could go to the territorialdispatch.biz, and you could look at them as well. Lawbreakers and lawmakers. And the other one is county wins even by losing. Now, I want to talk about lawbreakers and, and lawmakers uh, because uh, I talk about this Freedom of Information Act uh, where it took them months to give us some information about how whose money they're spending and how much are they spending for this campaign to try to convince us to give them more of our money it's a violation, it's multiple violations of the law. So uh, there's a free speech clause in the federal and state constitutions, in both, that prohibit the use of governmentally compelled monetary contributions, that call it, that's like taxes, to support or oppose political campaigns since such contributions are a form of free speech. So what the government said in Smith versus UC Regents in 1993, it said, listen, your free speech doesn't just talk about your talk or your writing, but actually it includes how you spend your money. That's your free speech. And people shouldn't take your money. The government shouldn't take your money and then use it against you. Because if you particularly that's a violation of your free speech, because if they they forcefully took your money, and then they're using it against you, right? They're taking away your rights to freedom of speech. So um, also, it says another case, Stanson versus Mott in 1976, it says the use of public treasury, that's your tax money, to mount an election campaign which attempts to influence the resolution of issues which our Constitution leaves to the free election of the people— presents a serious threat to the integrity of the electoral process. Now, what that's saying is that the government, if it wants to put something on the ballot, it can put something on the ballot, but it cannot use tax dollars to fund that. Now, I'll show you a difference. Now, I didn't agree with Marysville's increase of taxes either, but I don't believe, unless I missed something, that they used our tax dollars to campaign on behalf of their measure to increase Our sales taxes. They went out and got a businessman. uh, They went out and got a a businessman to uh, fund that campaign. Now, that's to me, it's a little unethical, right? Uh, City council people are not supposed to campaign as city council men or women on behalf of a campaign that they put on the ballot. Neither are they supposed to use our funding our finances to to campaign on behalf of a, of a ballot issue now but but the fact is unless somebody like the district attorney takes these things up and files an action, no action will be filed you think well who's supposed who's responsible in these situations to file an action the fair political practices Commission says the district attorney is but historically, they've just passed on it. And you think, whoa, you mean the district attorney knows something's against the law and they just ignore it? Yep, they do. In fact, I'll tell you something that's even worse. District attorneys are supposed to—if a girl is taken into—an underage girl, that's under 18, is taken into an abortion clinic by an adult guy— Uh, And there's suspicion that she's being sex trafficked or that that adult guy, not being her father, right, uh, has been having sex with her and maybe she's been prostituted out. He is supposed to prosecute those things for all the reasons I just told you. Prostitution is illegal. Sex trafficking is illegal. An adult man, 20, 25, 35, 45, having sex with a little 13, 14, 15, 16 year old girl. That's illegal. He should go to prison for that, right? But Planned Parenthood, who is a mandated reporter, or any abortion clinic is a mandated reporter, they literally are not following the law, and they're giving abortions to 13-, 14-, 15-, 16-year-old girls, 17-, 18-year-old girls, ladies, young ladies and little girls, and they are not reporting that the fact that somebody impregnated them that's a lot older than them and they're not doing it and district attorneys are not prosecuting. It. They're just they're just over they're just like ah we're not going to get into that right there. Even though that we did a sting here and I think it was 2016 we did a sting and we there were so many guys responded to a Craigslist and a Facebook site advertising uh 13 young 13 girl uh, 13-year-old girls and even down to 9 year 9-year-old girls advertising them, they are, they had so many responses that in just a matter of hours they shut down the site because they had more people to arrest than they could, and they arrested initially close to 40 people. Now, uh, this is a problem. So what you have is, is the local district attorneys, the reason you have so much corruption in politics is nobody's doing anything about it, right? How many times have you seen people report people to the fair political practice commission and and nothing happens right now sometimes people are doing it nefariously in other words they're just doing it because they're bitter or they got a they got a bean up their nose and the person didn't do anything wrong they just threw them under the bus so uh so that's what's going on here it's clearly against the law for the county to use hundreds of any of our money, but hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're going to eventually file the Freedom of Information Act to find out eventually what were the total costs. How much? You know, it's interesting. Robert Bendorf would, I, I think he lost his mind because he was quoted in the Appeal Democrat is 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 mocking a mocking comment about an outside the area outside the area organizations. And the fact is he's referring to Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association, which is one of the most highly credible nonprofits and highly effective nonprofits that help all the people in the state of California, no matter what political persuasion they're in, to stay in their houses uh, for the least amount of taxes uh, possible. And they don't, they don't judge on, on the basis of age, color, creed, anything they they simply try to get the law enforced while the counties are ignoring proposition 218 proposition two uh proposition 13 and the fact of using our monies against us after they forcibly take them from us try not paying your taxes and see how long that works out for you it's not going to work out very good at all and uh so uh f- for all of you that uh want to stay in tune to this if you haven't uh have been connected yet if you're yuba county or sutter county residents is look on no on facebook at no on measure k no on major k and you can stay up with the articles and all the going back and forth on how this ripoff occurred and uh, i'm telling you that this thing uh here's the other problem that i have city council members and supervisors are elected to oversee and set the policies and the ordinances for our cities and counties. It is not up to the County administrators or city managers, but too often the city people that run for city council and supervisors aren't up for the job. One, they're not intelligent enough. Number two, they're too lazy. And so they don't do their homework. They don't read the packets. They don't like I heard Stephanie McKenzie the other day. uh, She, I don't even think she read read the packet going into the meeting. She said she didn't know anything about uh, Bill Simmons's um, presentation before the city council here a few weeks ago about a pumping operation that would save the city a million dollars or even make the city a million dollars. She didn't know anything about it. Now, I know enough if you've been on any kind of board city, I don't care what kind of board it is. You have to post the agenda ahead of time, and you get a packet in the mail explaining what the, what the agenda is all about. You get all the background information, so you have it. You have an opportunity if you ha- you want more information about anything, is to call those people behind that particular proposal and ask them specific questions to your heart's desire. If a if a city council person or a supervisor or a senator or someone does not do that, shame on him or her. Because she didn't do her job to to say, oh, well, she, she didn't know this, or they didn't know this. It, it was all just thrust upon them. That's impossible. It's against the law to to drop something. And even if somebody stands up in a city council meeting or a supervisor meeting during the open time to talk, they can talk all they want up to the time limit. But they're not going to get a vote on it because it's not on the agenda. So but you get the agenda ahead of time, the public gets it, and the supervisors, the board members get it. The city council people get it, and they have all the time in the world they need to take all the time in the world to educate them to get up on that dais and and act stupid is ridiculous you don't have you have no excuse for being stupid or uninformed because you you have time to go get informed right that's your job if you don't have time to do that you need to step down and let somebody else do the job okay so we're going to we're at the end of our second uh clip and i want to play a um uh a c-span i believe it's c-span video of assemblyman james gallagher who represents uh, some of the northern counties here in california uh yuba sutter to be exact that's why i have it on this clip and he's talking about the ridiculous uh, decisions down in Sacramento. And I think he makes some poignant comments and uh, let's listen to it. And then I'll come right back and we'll get it on here for the, for the third of six uh, chats here for 20 minutes apiece. Okay. Be right back.
5: Baby,
6: baby. How you feel about this baby?
4: Baby, baby.
6: How you feel about being free?
4: Um,
5: Yeah, I had to rise just because of some of the things that that I've heard on this floor um, You know guys when I've watched you over the over my now going on my fifth year in this legislature, but watching our government over the past 10 years vote on bill after bill that raises the cost of living in this state. When you jacked the RPS up to 100% now, we're gonna read 100% and are gonna jack up everybody's utility bills 200% by the time this is all over. said already been raised 80%. We pay pay 80% more for our electricity in California than any other place in this state when you look at all the environmental regulations that you continue to pile on. Any sequel reform this year for, for housing to actually build more housing uh, in this state statewide? Nope, we haven't seen that. But as you continue to pile on all the regulations that make rents higher, that make the cost of housing higher, when the things that you pass that make the cost of buying food higher, And then you have the audacity on this floor to blame the gig economy for poverty in this state. The audacity to blame landlords for homelessness. I mean, for the last 10 years, you guys have been talking about how you're going to help the homeless and about how you're going to help people get out of poverty. Well, hey, guys, last I checked, it's 18% now in California. Right? And the costs keep getting higher. And now you have another proposal that you say is going to help them, and help people on the margins, and make sure that, they, that they're not homeless. And yet we have more homeless now. You guys have been in power. You have all the control. We don't get to pass the laws that we would like to see passed. You guys have had the control. And we have more homeless in this state than ever before. So please, on behalf of all the Californians, I'll just say, please stop helping us. Because you're not helping people on the margins, you've increased homelessness with your policies. You have increased poverty, with your policies. And I want to speak to you know some of the folks who I know their heart is in the right place. They see the rents going higher. They're frustrated. A lot of uh, rental advocates in the room, some in the gallery. Please ask yourself how this bill helps you. Okay. And it'll give you a little view of what goes on in this building. This bill says that they can raise your, rate, your rent every year by 7% to 8%. Are your wages increasing by 8% every year? No, but that's the deal that got cut. The gentleman from Sacramento said it really clearly. Why are the big corporate landlords not opposing this bill? Why? Because they're getting a hell of a deal. They're going to continue to raise rents 8% a year for the foreseeable future. And the mom and pop landlords, who usually are actually are the ones who keep rents low and probably will continue to do so, but they'll, but they'll have that cap as well. But the corporate landlords, they're going to just keep raising that to that cap every year. And oh, by the way, if they build new housing. None of this applies to them. So they'll go out and make more capital improvements and none of these rules will apply to them. Because the real deal here in Sacramento is, folks, big government and big business love each other. Because when they get together, they can make the deal. But all the people on the smaller businessmen, the monoma pops, the industries that don't have lobbyists, they don't get cut in on the deal. And that's really what happened. So when all these people stand up here and tell you how they're helping you, Please, just ask the question, read the bill, what it actually does, and what it's going to do in the foreseeable future. It really doesn't help you. But what it will do is reduce supply, and I don't want to get into that, a lot of people have talked about that. I I don't just believe, I know that the free market brings about lower costs for all. But we don't have a free market in California, not at all. We have big government and big business, and it's working out great for them.
7: Je n'avais jamais c'était mon chapeau
3: devant personne. Maintenant je rampé, je fais le bout. Quand elle me
1: sonne. J'étais chien méchant, elle me fait manger. Alright, here we go again. Uh,
3: so I was mentioning uh before we took it. A- brief break there to listen to uh, Assemblyman Gallagher, uh, that the county administrator of Yuba took a cheap shot at Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association and the law firm of Bell McAndrews in Hilltac, And I thought it was interesting because they are, um, the the law firm is noted uh, throughout the state among the legal community as one of the top experts on election law. Now, I guess uh county administrator Bendorf thought it was uh, underhanded or uncool or uh not correct to go outside and find somebody to assist us in fighting the county. Now, it's interesting the county has all our money. They they take our money and then they use our money against us and then if we go out and hire somebody uh and and find somebody outside the area that's an expert in election law for instance, or nobody locally an attorney that's an expert in election law, so you have to go to where the action is and Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association isn't located in Marysville, so uh those people were both solicited to come and help at this with this fight. Now it's interesting to note that the county who has an entire department of attorneys and probably blow a million dollars a year on attorneys who can't find their butt with both hands legally. And actually, couldn't write a, the ordinance correctly to begin with, which would have spared us this grief. And in fact, the the uh, county attorney, right in the middle of this uh, measure K, when it when I think she learned it was going to be uh, a pissing contest, quit. Which I found fascinating. That's a pretty cush job, actually, to get uh, to make that kind of money, almost two hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, and have no real. Accountability, right? Most most county officials don't have any accountability. And I, I can get onto that in a minute. I just got off the phone with people from the city of Marysville where a while back a few years ago where the five five citizens sitting on the city council decided to bury the city. Uh, by getting the real estate business none of them knew knew anything about the real estate business and now we owe 17 million dollars on a five acre parcel worth about two million and uh, actually people will be paying on it for two or three generations so um, the county takes a cheap shot at the people against major k but at the same time has their own own county council multiple attorneys in the same office cannot figure out they're not going to use them to fight this case, so they go out and hire an out-of-town group, the very people that uh, County Administrator Bindorf doesn't like. In fact, he doesn't even live here. Do you know that? Do you think it's wrong for that we can't even find somebody wanting to serve the County of Yuba or the County of Sutter? They can't even decide to live here. Did you know that? Like, Scott Mitnick lived in Southern California, and he made so much money the the county administrator that just quit over in Sutter County, he made so much money he could afford to fly back and forth up and down the state. Amazing. That's amazing. That's pay, paying people too darn much. So now we have a county administrator in Yuba County that does not live here. We have attorneys that are fighting to protect the, the, uh, the Measure K ordinance. We have them from Nevada County. The Lou Edwards, Edwards group, which is a group of people that did a snow job on uh, the county residents, they're down in Oakland, their main office in Oakland, California. So, when we talk about people speaking the truth or dishing crap, I would say that's dishing crap where you're taking a shot at your opponents saying, "Oh, they they had they went out and got. I wish they wouldn't have gone out." and got all these people from out of town to twist this ordinance. Now, the ordinance was twisted from the beginning, and it was twisted by people from out of town with the cooperation of the supervisors and the county council. And then they, the the uh, people that pushed this ordinance were all out-of-towners, and now the the attorneys that are trying to protect this ordinance are all out-of-towners. It would be great if people would speak the truth. Wouldn't it be great? And then Bendorf took a shot at at, a, at an ex politician. I think that must be a guy named John Missler. Now here's the the, the full truth of the matter. Robert Bendorf, and I actually like Robert Bendorf. But honestly, when I first met Robert Bendorf, he was he was a, a sheriff's deputy, and then he quit that to be an administrator of the county. Right? What... I'm pro law enforcement and I'm pro firefighting, but they are government employees. Okay. However you want to look at that. Robert Bindorf has spent his whole adult career making money off the taxpayer. And he takes a cheap shot at ex-politician, John Missler. Now, now John Missler is between 70 and 80 years of age. Four years of, of his life. He served on the Board of Supervisors, four out of 70-something. Robert Bendorf has spent his entire adult life sucking on the tit of government for his living. Missler spent four years as a politician, so we're going to call him an ex-politician. But actually, most of his life he spent earning an honorable living doing carpentry, managing a part of the Montgomery Ward's uh, store here in Marysville being a volunteer firefighter, owning and managing the territorial dispatch for 15 years. all That's all at his own risk, right? No guaranteed pensions, no guaranteed salaries like in government. So we could call Robert Bendorf, right? We could call him an ex-cop divorcee. That would be one way to call him, right? Instead of saying, oh, he served the, the uh, sheriff's department. And now he's serving the county of Yuba. Well, we could say he just, you know, he, he's a mooch off government. A lot of way we can describe people. I thought it was very inappropriate. Very inappropriate. You want to be angry about people opposing Major K? Be angry about it. But don't don't be dishonest. Don't be unethical. Lawmakers and lawbreakers. The people that are, my point here is that the, the government is everything the founding fathers hated. They're in California they're they're putting out between 800 and 900 laws per year. Why? They keep finding stuff they don't like about the people. And they want to take away your freedom. Every time there's a law passed, it takes away your freedom. Every time they raise I'm not a cigarette smoker and I don't like the smell of cigarettes, and I don't like to be in a room with somebody smoking. Got that. If you want to make cigarette smoking, for example, I'm just using it as one law. If you want to make that illegal, make it illegal. Just ban it through a prohibition no one can smoke no one can smoke anything anywhere anytime you can't be possession will put you in jail whatever you want to do but if you're going to have it legal to smoke why in the world do you punish people by by charging them nine or ten dollars a pack for cigarettes why would you do that you're just being unkind that that same spirit is the same spirit that takes away your straws to drink out of that tells you when you can water your lawn and on and on and on and on and on. It's just a total, uh, it's just a total ripoff. And it it's, every time a law is passed, it removes your freedom. That's just the way that is. And the government is ripping us off left and right. Um, so, uh, lawmakers and lawbreakers. We started with the Ten Commandments, but now we have thousand, thousands of laws in the Golden State, to keep us all in check. Right? That's what's going on. But the most egregious lawbreakers are those that make them. In fact, people like the Board of Supervisors, uh, they think they they live above the law, that somehow, even though they've created all these laws, they really don't need to pay attention to them themselves. And I want to... uh, Let me see if I can find this without sucking up too much time uh it's about halfway down i'm trying to just scroll down here i've got my menu i've got everything organized today but if i have to change and i'm just being kind of led of the spirit right now to switch things up a little bit and uh, i want to get down here and i want to talk about here it is title congress passes bill to make members pay sexual misconduct claims now is it is it wrong to uh, misbehave sexually i would say everybody would say yes it is is it illegal to misbehave sexually it is in great many cases in fact more and more they're saying oh you can't do this you it's one thing to rape somebody molest somebody a child or something now it, it gets to place well now we have these sexual harassment things you know what i mean and sexual misconduct. So this is what's really disgusting in our Congress. we how people in, in whatever whatever branch they have misbehaved and people sue them. Who do you think has to pay for those lawsuits? that would be me and i didn't even get the enjoyment of being involved in the sexual harassment or the molestation or having sex with that person i got to pay for it it's like saying i got to pay for the prostitute for some other dude to have fun with right that's what's going on so it says recently because so many of these legislators they can't they can't go find themselves their own wife or they get tired of her so they're having they're fooling around with these People that they work with. In fact, I remember that, you know, Kevin McCarthy, who represents the state of California, almost got Speaker of the House. But then they found out he was having sex with another congresswoman. Was that? I can't remember her name. She was a former nurse. I don't know if she was in North Carolina or something. But it goofed him up being the next Speaker of the House. Now, he'll probably be the Speaker of the House if they ever win enough seats in that House in congress again the republicans because they'll probably think well enough time is blown by enough enough water under the bridge that w- even though he they were both married to different people they went ahead and, and and played like they were married to each other occasionally down there at at washington dc had some fun while they were out making laws telling us to, took taking they're taking away my fun while they're out having fun that's what this is all about So both the House of Representatives and the Senate approved the bipartisan measure on a voice vote after months of effort. Months of effort. This is very complicated to produce a compromise between the two chambers. It now goes to the White House for President Don Trump to sign into law. Trump himself has faced multiple accusations of sexual misconduct, according to this article. So. It says Thursday, this is a while ago now, passed legislation, they passed legislation to crack down on sexual harassment by members of Congress requiring lawmakers to pay for settlements and some, some court awards themselves instead of depending on public funds. How in the world do we get so screwed up that we're paying for people to have sex with other people's wives and in, or, or with these interns, etc says, we want to thank Jackie Spire. She's a Democrat from California. We want to thank 1,500 former staff members of Congress who wrote a letter to us who made the case all too clear that sexual harassment in Congress was a huge problem. I don't even care whether it's a huge problem. It's against, it should be against the law. So, over the past year, several U.S. lawmakers have left office following sexual misconduct allegations, including Democrat Senator Al Franken, Democrat Representative John Conyers, and Republican Representatives Trent Franks and Blake Farenthold. They all denied the allegations. Darn, I hate that when that happens. Under the legislations, lawmaker liability would be capped. At $300,000 when a court has assessed the damages. But there would be no limit on lawmaker liability for settlements. Currently, the money is paid from taxpayer-funded accounts. The legislation says Congress must also... The article is written stupid. I'm hoping... Here's what I'm hoping they actually did. I'm hoping that, that when they're found guilty... In other words, a jury says you molested this person or you grabbed her or you did something, something that they don't that they got to pay for their own attorney and the and any punitive damages they got to pay for themselves. This the way this article is written, it's unclear about who really is responsible for what it still seems like we're on the hook. But thankfully, somebody is actually addressing that. That's amazing to me that it takes years and years and years to sort these things out. It just it just like so disgusting. And we still have people that are serving in the state capital of the state of California. Uh, that we're we're not talking about some slut or nut, uh accusation. We're talking about one one lady is a surgeon that's serving in the assembly or was serving in there that uh, accused Hertzberg. I don't know if he's a Senator or assemblyman of feeling her up. Now I would think a surgeon is not some teeny bopper and, and overly sensitive young girl. I figure this surgeon woman uh, pretty much knows her stuff, right? she has been through high school, college, and then went to medical school and then became a surgeon on top of that i think she could fir- pretty much figure out when a person's getting a gra- getting a grab on her what happened to him he he got a he got a uh, a lecture that's all he got he didn't get any penalties he didn't get kicked out he didn't quit he's still serving down there it's unbelievable so uh, I want to mention this is an amazing thing. Any you ever had your wisdom teeth out? I went through high school in my final year of high school. I noticed my teeth were moving around. They weren't going in the right direction. My teeth were going in the wrong direction. Went to the dentist. Back then it was like <clears throat> it was like going to a mechanic to work on your mouth. They just beat on you, chiseled on your teeth. It was rough. Nowadays they claim it's pain free dentistry. I don't know why I'd go that far, but it's a lot better today, but I remember going to the dentist. It wasn't the, uh, it wasn't something I looked forward to, but I had to have my wisdom teeth out because they, the term they used back then was they were, they were impacted. They weren't hurting, but they were pushing, they were coming in sideways and pushing my teeth out of alignment. And so I guess it's a common thing to have people's wisdom teeth pulled. And I don't think the wisdom teeth like to be pulled. They like to stay where they are. So they're in there hacking and chopping, and the guy's got his foot on your jaw while he's trying to pull on you. So back in the day, they put me in the hospital to take mine out, which I didn't mind because they knocked me totally out. I said, thank you, Jesus. But nowadays... They're saying that, you know, we got this opioid crisis. I don't know what it was like the first time you ever got high. You remember the first time you ever got high? I drank alcohol because that's what everybody did back then. I'm so old that I precede the drug scene. And so my dad drank, my mom drank, everybody drank I knew. So I thought I'm going to try that drinking thing. And I thought it was so fun to get drunk because it made me goofy. They call it getting a buzz on, right? Getting it high. And so one of the things that's bad about teenagers— entering into that kind of behavior is they don't part of the brain that is good judgment maturity and good judgment part of the brain isn't fully formed yet and a teenager will have a wonderful euphoric feeling of taking a drug or or alcohol and then all they can think is let's do that again right let's do that again let's do that again let's do that can we do it one more time It's like the kid where you read him the story at night and say, will you read it again? Will you read it again? Will you read it again? Well, he he has no concept like, hey, we need to go to bed because we got stuff to do in the morning, right? That's the maturity part of it. So now they're saying that a lot of teens are getting strung out on OxyContin. I thought, what would they be giving that kind of powerful drug to somebody that had some teeth work? So it says 5 million people have their wisdom teeth removed each year. Those patients are predominantly young adults and teens. And, uh, where the third molar is crowding their way into the corners of their mouths, causing pain and creating a potential for other periodontal problems. Well, I got the other periodontal problems. That's what I got out of it. So many of them go under the knife or, or for the, by the dentist or the oral surgeon. So, This medical journal says uh, that researchers from Stanford University and University of California, San Francisco, found that among around 15,000 patients aged 16 to 25 were given opioids by their dentists. Almost 70, almost 7% went back to a health care provider for additional opioids between three and 12 months. I want you to think about this. I can't even remember what they gave me back then but there was no such things as as that uh to get me over the first day or two after the dental work right they have about seven percent of teens coming back three to twelve months later for additional prescriptions now they just i don't know why they just don't give you three or four pills and that's it that's all you get they're giving them a whole bottle of pills then they're letting them come back It says nearly 6% were diagnosed with opioid abuse within one year after the initial... Man, they need a drug rehab after getting their wisdom teeth pulled. In contrast, four-tenths of percent of patients were not prescribed dental opioids, were later diagnosed. In other words, the point is, you give kids opioids, their brain isn't developed enough, and all they want to do is get high after that. And it's saying if you don't give them opioids, hardly ever anybody gets addicted to them because you're not, it's one thing if they buy them off the street, it's another thing where your dentist gives them. And then who in the world would give you another prescription six months, three, three or six months down the road for opioids, opioids. It's just the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Uh, I'm going to take a really quick break here and then we'll come right back. Um, all right. So we're going to, uh, a couple of days ago, you probably, You probably it came and went Constitution Day. You ever heard of it? I'm going to play you a clip on Constitution Day. It should get your attention because we need to pay attention to the Constitution. We'll be right back.
8: The Constitution of the United States was signed on the 17th of September, 1787. Well today, federal law says that the 17th of September should be celebrated as Constitution Day. So by federal law across the United States and federal offices, federal buildings, and schoolhouses that receive federal money, we set aside time to talk about the Constitution. It is a remarkable document. The average length of a constitution in the history of the world is only 17 years. We've had this constitution for over two centuries. It's an amazing blessing and stability that we enjoy, and we often take it for granted. And when you look at that document and look at the ideas that it has, you see, where'd this come from? Where'd we get these ideas, and, and who did this? Well, you go back to look at the 39 guys who wrote the constitution, who signed the constitution, and you'll find that among the 39, one of the big leaders, one of the guys with Really important ideas was a guy named Roger Sherman. Roger Sherman actually is one of only six founding fathers who signed both the Declaration and the Constitution of the United States. Now at the Constitutional Convention, he's actually the third most active member of the convention. He spoke 147 times on the Florida Convention. And you look at things he gave us, that would include things like the bicameral system, whereby we have a House and a Senate. We have something that represents the people and something that represents the states. We also have what's known as the Electoral College, which came from Roger Sherman. It's a way of electing the president whereby not just the people have a voice, but the states also have a voice. And because of that, that that brilliant innovation he came up with, that's why we don't have a president just campaigning in four states, because today there's enough population in four states to win the presidency. No, because the Electoral College, the president has to go to all 50 states and campaign in all the states. So it's a really good system. Well, Roger Sherman, who put all this together, was really a strong Christian. He was a noted lay theologian. He came from very humble beginnings. He he was a shoemaker and a cobbler, and he taught himself to be a judge, and and he was elected as a judge and served as a judge in Connecticut. And so he knew law, and he knew lots of stuff, but he was really self-taught from very, again, very humble backgrounds. And so, as a wise man, he studied the Bible, and he learned so much from the Bible, and from the Bible, he knew that you needed good morals if you're going to have a strong nation, people who can control themselves. If, if you don't have citizens who control themselves, then the government comes in and does so much over-regulation. And so as part of that, he actually was one of the founders of the Connecticut Society for the Promotion of Good Morals. He thinks morals is a real key to having limited government. And because he was such a strong Christian, He was involved in many theological controversies of that day. He has a lot of theological writings. But the one thing that stands out about him is not just his theology. It's his love for the Bible. He served in Congress for a long time. As a matter of fact, this is a newspaper from back in the day. And he was a member of Congress who helped frame the Bill of Rights. So in addition to signing the Declaration and the Constitution, he's also a framer of the Bill of Rights. And it's interesting to see the way that the newspaper describes him. This is what they say about him. Roger Sherman, the volume which he consulted more than any other was the Bible. It was his custom at the commencement of every session of Congress to purchase a copy of the Scriptures, to peruse it daily, and to present it to one of his children on his return. Roger Sherman, like so many founding fathers, believed that you should read through the Bible from cover to cover once a year, and that's what he did. And so every year as he went to Congress, he took a new Bible with him. He kept notes in there as the Lord is showing him stuff as he reads the Bible. And when he gets home, he gives it to one of his kids. Now you do have to be in Congress a long time to get a Bible to all your kids, because he had 15 kids. So that's a lot of Bible reading to get a Bible to every kid, but this is the life of Roger Sherman, one of the guys who had so much to do with the nation that we have today, the document we have today, and on Constitution Day, he's a good founding father to remember.
3: So let me finish up on this opioid situation. It says about 70,000 people died from drug overdoses in 2017. Uh, the research team made these findings using de identified. They checked out 750,000. Individuals: 52% women, three-quarters white, and an average of 21.8 years. Almost 100,000, 13% were prescribed opioids at least once in 2015. 30% of the prescriptions were written by dentists. I never would have thought. About 75% of opioid prescriptions were for hydrocodone, which is Norco's, street name Norco's uh or other terms lortab norco vicodin okay so it's interesting that people it's just amazing how people make decisions smart people make decisions to do certain things and the unintended consequences we got all kinds of people strung out all screwed up on drugs very 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 sad says, young people are particularly vulnerable to the effect of painkillers. There are two parts of the brain. Check this out. If you've got kids, you need to pay attention to this. People think, oh, it really doesn't matter. They can just smoke marijuana. There's nothing wrong with marijuana. There's nothing wrong with this, that. Honestly, it's a huge thing. There are two parts of the brain that interact in addiction. The prefrontal cortex. It relates to decision-making. Hold that thought. Uh Kids are not fully mature until they, someone reaches the mid-20s and the reward system located in the midbrain, which is actually very mature, even during adolescence. When a teen is exposed to something like an opioid, the drug will deliver a rush of pleasurable chemicals, I've experienced that, like dopamine. It feels good, and they don't have the wherewithal or the good judgment to prevent themselves from doing it again, and again, and again, and again, do it again. Adolescents are what we call primed for addiction. And yet, we just think, let kids tell us, oh, marijuana, I, you know, you think, Lou, how come you talk about marijuana? It's not opioid. It it gives you the pleasurable experience, and they want to do it again. Like I tell kids, I said, why do you even go to school when you're smoking weed? Just smoke weed. Just do it all day. Do it all day, every day, and see how that works for you. It may take four or five years. Maybe decide you want to do something, be a mechanic or something one day, and quit. It says a 6% increase risk of opioid abuse may not seem high, but it's significant when you consider how many people that affects, especially when the risk is totally avoidable. Unbelievable. Well, that's a story of that. Uh, I'm not going to spend the whole day on getting drugs. I'm going to have Dr. Cassidy come in here, and uh, he's a specialist on addiction, and we'll have a discussion here in the near future. Now, here's another thing that just amazes me. I'm going to read you a headline, see if you find anything weird about this headline. Black engineer invents gloves that turn sign language into audible speech. I'll say it one more time. You can guess what I'm going to talk about. Black engineer invents gloves that turn sign language into into audible speech. Now, I think turning sign language, gloves that can turn sign language into audible speech is pretty amazing. Don't you think so? Pretty, Pretty incredible person, whoever that person is, that engineer. Why wouldn't they call him a spastic engineer? Why couldn't they call him a homosexual engineer? Why couldn't they call him a transsexual engineer? Why couldn't they call him an engineer that likes to have sex with donkeys? What's the point of a headline, black engineer? Does that mean all other blacks are an idiot? All of, This is the first engineer in the world that's black because all, all other blacks are stupid? Why would they have to identify the person as a person of color? Why wouldn't they say male engineer, female engineer, half horse, half male? What's the point? Is it it incredible? This this, uh, was an online article on blackbusiness.com. But even if it's blackbusiness.com, Why do you have to celebrate the fact that the guy was a certain color? Is that because all the rest of your color are stupid? It's the most incredible. We have lost our minds. It says Roy Alella, who happens to be Kenyan, right? Now, that would make sense to me. Kenyan engineer. That would differentiate it from Canadian engineer or European engineer. It's a Kenyan engineer. Roy Ayella, A-L-L-E-L-A, I don't know how he says it. Let's say Roy A., a 25-year-old engineer and inventor from Kenya. Why didn't we focus on that? But no, no, no. Here, it's all about color, right? Obama, half white, half black, we call him black. It's just stupid stuff. Is this stupid or what? Why don't we call him, why don't we interview him on, do you want to have sex with an animal? Do you want to have sex with a rabbit? And let's get into describing his sexual behavior. It's like if a, if a NBA player happens to like to have sex with somebody, the same gender, we have to ignore everything about his accomplishments as a person, an NBA player. And we have to focus on the fact that he likes to screw a guy. It just, we have lost our minds in this culture. This guy who has a relative, a nephew or niece, who is deaf. This guy's brilliant enough that he says, I wonder if I can figure out a way that we can communicate with her easier. So he found the ultimate solution to bringing the communication barrier between deaf and hearing people uh, to solving that. He has invented the sign I.O. gloves that can translate signed hand movements to audible speech so deaf people can talk even to those who don't understand sign language. So, for instance, I don't understand sign language. So that person could sign to me, and actually I could listen. Sign.io gloves feature sensors mounted on each of the five fingers to determine its movement, including how much a finger is bent. The gloves are connected to Bluetooth and into an Android app that the engineer, I'll call him Roy, Also invented, which uses a text-to-speech function to convert the gestures to vocal speech. Is that cool or what? Now, why did he do that? No, we had to focus on the fact of his color. Because somehow they need to convince me, a white guy, that black people can actually think. I didn't need convincing, but they had to, like, put that in their black engineer. They should have, like, put it in big, bold, funky letters. In black, 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 why didn't they like say black, a real black, a true black, a hundred per cent black engineer, so Roy was inspired to create the gloves because he and his family struggled to communicate with the six-year old niece who was born deaf. He said, "My niece wears the gloves, pairs them to her phone or mine, then so- starts signing, and I'm able to understand what she says, like all sign language users." She's very good at lip reading, but she doesn't need me to sign back. Anyway, I'm not going to go on with that. It's a pretty cool invention. Thank God for brilliant people no matter what flavor or who they have sex with. I just get so sick of it. I just I'm ready to be done with this world. I'm just I'm it's so stupid. I'm I'm low on tolerance. Now, here's another one on talking a little bit about health today. I am on Facebook. I did not do it on my own. A team of youngsters from Idaho, who I took to China and Vietnam to smuggle Bibles, said, Lou, we want to stay in contact with you. I said, well, just call me up sometime or email me or something. They said, Lou, we want to... We'll do it through Facebook. I said, "What is?" I don't even have a Facebook. They said, "We'll set you up a page." So many years ago, they set up a page. I go on there. I have never asked someone to be my friend. People reach. Out. I just, I just want to be able to communicate with this team of people. I had no other motive. I didn't want not. I didn't care what you had for dinner last night. Whether you knew how to cook a cupcake who you now that you now have a relationship I don't give a damn right whether you have learned to cook or not whether you're drinking your new highball or whether you're having drinks or you're a big old beer drinker or you're a partier you're a cowboy you know how to ride a horse who gives a crap it's just like so stupid and so there's a two-year study which I found really fascinating it says more than 5000 people show that this one activity destroys your emotional and physical health i thought oh i wonder what that activity is hello uc san diego and yale researchers share their up uh, their surprising results really are they that surprising people sit in front of a computer all day and and say like love wow sad anger and that's that's our level of communication. How how long does it take before you talk to a young person who obviously cannot even talk? They know words, but they they are so screwed up in the head, they can't even communicate with you uh, sitting down and looking at you in the face. They'd rather text across the room. If that isn't, you know something? If they had brain damage, I get it. They can't speak. But honestly, they got brain damage from from technology. So this says that Facebook itself is damaging people. Damaging your mental health. Uh, researchers from these institutions, they advise limit the amount of time you spend on Facebook. While this may sound like a typical anti-social media crankiness, Uh, Holly Shakya, assistant professor at San Diego and Nicholas Christakis spent two years with over 5,200 adult volunteers who allowed them not just to talk to them, but to, to electronically watch what they were doing on their computers, uh, and, uh, so, they knew exactly how many minutes they weren't asking them how much time do you think you spend on Facebook. They knew it down to the minute and exactly what they did. And they checked in with the people on their emotional and physical well being as well as their body mass index three times over the course of two years, right? They just kept checking in and drawing off their results. They said overall, while real world social networks were positively associated with overall well-being real world but that's not technology that's having a cup of coffee with somebody or going to lunch with them or going for a walk or going for a drive or right going to church with somebody the use of facebook it says was negatively associated with overall well-being uh, they wrote this in the Harvard Business Review article it said the results were particularly strong for mental health. Most measures of Facebook use most measures of Facebook use in one year. Uh, Facebook use in one year predicted a decrease in mental health in a later year. Why is too much Facebook bad for you? I wonder what would you say to that? Previous re- research has shown that the social network creates a sort of false peer pressure. You ever notice that? If you look at people a lot of times, it's just like, God, I didn't know life could be that good. It's just like, how are you? Wonderful. Just one wonder- Everything is just wonderful. Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, my husband, he's like the best. Well, Jesus couldn't be as good a husband as my husband. He's just like, incredible. She's incredible. Oh, she's just unbelievable. Just want to tell the whole world. It's like not good enough to tell your wife. Like, it's like, I don't care whether you like your wife or not. It's like, why would I care? Why are you telling me this on Facebook? It's like, my wife, she just, oh, see. I said, why do you do that? Are you trying to impress your wife by telling me this? It's like, why don't you just tell her, take her aside and tell her this? Like, do I need to tell her this? Do I need to go on and say, oh, yes, I agree. How do I know? I don't know what you treat your wife like behind, when I don't know, when you're behind closed doors. Jeez, it's crazy. So most people are cautious about posting negative or upsetting experience on Facebook. I have to actually defriend or quit following some of my gnarlier friends because they want to drop the F-bomb and they want to explode and go off. They're full of drama. They're full of drugs, drama, and craziness. They were raised by a horse or something. I don't think they had parents. They obviously are dysfunctional, And but I met them in jail and stuff and try to reach out to them, and then they go totally gnarly on me and want to cuss this person out and going to slit their throat over Facebook. It says, Social network creates a misleading environment where everyone seems to be doing better or having more fun than they really are. Like, we're, this is like so unbelievable. Like, I'm just so amazing as the researchers put it exposure to the carefully curated image from other people's lives leads to negative self-comparison. Honestly, people there's nothing compares to like getting together with people and you can size people up on your own. Are you with me? So I want to lead into this and we'll go back and catch some other stuff. We got a couple more. Uh, We've got to, we got about four or five minutes left here, and then we got a few other spots. But I, I love stuff that, about William Buffett. You know, William Buffett, the old timer, that's a bil- bazillionaire. He just turned eighty-nine years of age. The Guy doesn't take care of himself. He drinks cherry cola. He's a he's an interesting dude. And uh, so they asked him for some wisdom. He gave him six pieces of wisdom i'm gonna leave them since i just told you that you're on facebook too much and i don't like to see what kind of cocktail you're drinking tonight honestly it's like i i think i gotta post my arm and me tying off and said tonight i'm just shooting heroin and and everybody ought to follow my lead it's like i'm shooting some really good heroin tonight it's just like crazy our people are absolutely nuts i didn't realize That's one nice thing about getting off Facebook. You think people are smarter than they actually are. So he says, Buffett says, marry the right person. I said, thank you, Jesus. I think that's a good idea, right? Uh, So he said, marry the right person. The biggest decision of your life, Warren Buffett says, is the person you choose to marry. I tried to steer a girl right one day, and I... It blew up on my face. I thought that's the last person I'm ever gonna do that to again. Her parents hated me, his parents hated me. Then the kids got together, got married, and got divorced. Right? Now they're married to two other people. Tried to avoid that, right? I was I was the uh I was a Bible study leader of a great young adult group and just tried to give her a little guidance. Didn't try to throw anybody under the bus. I just saw what kind of guy you want anyway. Backfired on me big time. So figure it out yourself, have a divorce. Figured out on your own. Biggest decision Buffett says is who you're going to marry. You want to associate with people who are the kind of person you'd like to be. You'll move in that you'll move in that direction. He said if you'll do that. Uh, he actually gave Bill Gates that advice one time. He said, "And the most important person by far in that respect is your spouse. I can't overemphasize how important that is. Marry the right person." Next, he says, invest in yourself. By far the best investment you can ever make is in your own self. A lot of times we need to lust, like get away, study some stuff, learn some new stuff, get away from funky friends, uh, learn to communicate better. All you kids on Facebook and stuff, you can't talk on the phone. You you won't answer the phone. You won't do this. He says, he said, improve your communication ability in writing and in person. I had a guy who worked with a Glad Tidings. He couldn't. He was a graduate of Chico State, couldn't even write a paragraph. The guy, guy, total waste of money. Honing that skill of communication can increase your value by at least 50%. He said, take care of your body and your mind, especially when you're young. Don't smoke weed. I'm, I'm adding this in. What, here's what taking care of your body and mind is. Eat good stuff, get off sugar, get off weed, get off the opiates, get off meth. Uh, if I gave you a car, he said, and it'd be like the only car you get the rest of your life, you would take care of it. Wouldn't you like, like you wouldn't believe any scratch you'd fix, fix at that very moment. You'd read the owner's manual. You'd keep a garage, you'd keep it garage and you would do all kinds of good things for the car. You'd get exactly, he said, you get one mind and one body in this world and you can't start taking care of it when you're, when you get to be 50. By that time, you'll rust out if, if you haven't done anything else. Invest in yourself. Number three, associate with high-grade people. Oh, you say that to people in jail, and they think you're, you're slitting their throat. Well, I'm not, not going to give up my friends. Well, good. Just go to hell with them. Go nuts with them. Lose your mind with them. Die of an overdose with them. Hook up with high-grade people, and you'll start acting just like them. If you hang around with people who behave worse than you, pretty soon you'll start pulling in that direction. I got a couple more to do. I'm going to take a break, and then I'll give you the rest of Warren Buffett's ideas that uh, can—his six pieces of wisdom. We'll be right back.
7: Do you enjoy sipping drinks through plastic straws? Well, if activists get their way, you won't be allowed to anymore. These must be banned, they say. Why?
0: 500 million plastic straws
2: are
8: used in this country every single day. And many end up in the ocean, polluting
5: water and killing sea life.
7: When celebrities speak, politicians listen. Seattle recently banned straws, and other places want to do the same. Straws suck, and
1: we are no longer going to allow for plastic straws here in San Francisco.
9: Their time has come and
1: gone.
6: The idea that you're going to ban straws and save the world is ridiculous.
7: Angela Logomussini studies environmental issues at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. What will banning plastic straws accomplish? Probably nothing at all. It might make some
6: people in Hollywood feel good. It might make some politicians feel good, like they're doing something. It might sound good at parties, but it's not going to solve any problems.
7: Plastic pollution in the ocean is a real problem. But only about 1% of it comes from the United States. Of that 1%, a tiny amount comes from plastic straws. But what about that 500 million number? In the
1: USA alone, over 500 million straws are being used every single day. Most of which are going into our oceans.
2: Americans toss out 500 million
8: straws each day. An incredible 500 million plastic straws.
7: Where do they all get that number? Every piece of plastic. They got it yeah, from this child's school project. Even he says he got the 500 million straws a day figure through a phone survey he conducted with straw manufacturers.
5: I studied a project to reduce the number of
7: straws. The media just accepts his 500 million number, but the actual number is much lower, according to the analysis firm, Technomic. Okay, so activists and media exaggerate the problem. 500 million. 500 million.
8: 500 million.
7: Still, they promise it would be easy to get rid of the straws.
0: If we can reduce something that is easy, that is polluting to the environment, that gets stuck in turtles' noses and causes damage to the environment, Let's do that.
7: Progressive talk show host Ethan Behrman.
0: Sometimes we do need a little gentle guiding hand from government.
7: Government's gentle guiding hand will either ban straws or order us to replace this cheap plastic straw with ones like these, made of paper or bamboo.
0: Plastic doesn't actually biodegrade. So unlike a lot of other things, paper, for example, actually breaks down into other components.
7: That's not a good thing. That means paper straws break down even while you're using them. They get soggy. They leak.
6: That's the beauty of plastic. It's enduring. Paper straw is going to break down while you're drinking with it.
7: Paper and bamboo straws aren't environmentally pristine either.
6: Paper products take more energy and more effort to produce. You're going to have a net negative environmental impact. The paper doesn't degrade in a landfill either. Everything is essentially mummified. You're replacing a superior product with an inferior one and
7: you're asking people to pay more
6: for It doesn't make a lot of sense.
7: It doesn't and the higher price is the final result. Paper straws are eight times more expensive to make than plastic straws. Won't this hurt businesses? I don't think so. Maybe people won't
0: use straws. If it's $1.79 to get the fountain drink at Joe's Corner Deli that we're talking about, and now it's $1.83, I don't see that as being a a huge difference in the price.
6: This is what environmentalists say about Every policy they put out, a few cents here, a few cents there, eventually it begins to be a burden. We don't need straws. You know, a lot of things in life are not necessary, but beneficial and enjoyable. Banning straws isn't going to do anything for the environment. So what they're just trying to do is take away my freedom for nothing in return.
7: As the environment has become cleaner, that's become a specialty of the environmental movement. Spend your money on feel-good policies that make no real
1: difference. I will stop
8: sucking. I will stop sucking.
1: We will all stop sucking.
5: You got a lot of nerve I say you are my friend. When I was down, you just stood there.
3: So I think we're down to, I don't know, number three or four. He says, work for people you respect. Try to work from whomever, for whomever you admire the most. It won't necessarily be the job that you'll have for for the rest of your life or 10 years later, but you have the opportunity to pick up so much as you go along. While salary is an important factor when thinking about your career, you don't want to take a job just for the money. My friend Phil Enright says, don't go in when you're, when you're trying to learn about a business and ask, even fuss around with the salary. Just take the job and get going. Uh, he once accepted a job, he said, w- with his mentor and hero, Benjamin Graham. That was the hero of, of uh, Mr. Buffett. And he said he didn't even ask about the salary. First job I ever had, full-time job, my father lined me up a job. And he said, don't ask how much you're getting paid. Just go work hard. I said, all right, it's OK with me. So William Buffett said, uh, Warren Buffett said that uh, he went to work for Benjamin Graham without even asking about the salary. And he said, I found out that at the end of the month, I found out how much I earned when I got my paycheck, he said. N- Next, he said, ignore the noise. What What are we talking about ignoring the noise? He's investing can get emotional and it doesn't help that you can see how you're doing throughout the day by checking a stock ticker or turning on the news at any moment. You didn't used to be able to do that, right? Uh, no, one, no one in the world can be certain which way the financial markets are going. I remember when I first started investing, shoot, I, was, I, was, oh, I didn't have any money until I was any money extra until I got in my 30s because I was living communally and we just put everything in the pot. But I remember a couple other people started investing a little bit money that I knew, and the market took a downturn, and I just I just didn't do anything. I just hung on, just went forward in life, and they, they cashed out because they just panicked. He said the best strategy, even though the market seems to be tanking, is to keep a level head and stay the course, which I did, and I did really well for myself. He said, I don't pay any attention to what economists say, frankly, he said in 2016. If you look at the whole history of of, of economists, they don't make a lot of money buying and selling stocks, those folks. But people who buy and sell stocks, listen to them. I have little trouble. He said, I have a little trouble with that. Finally, he says, success isn't measured by money. We were talking about one of the richest guys at certain times, the richest guy in the world. He says, success isn't measured by money. Buffett consistently is consistently one of the richest people in the world, but he doesn't use wealth as a measure of success. For him, it all boils down to a people you're closest to love you. That's a measure of success, right? Being given unconditional love is the greatest benefit you can ever get. He told this to MBA students, that's business administration students in a 2008 talk. Finally, the incredible thing about love, Buffett said, is that you can't get rid of it. If you try to give it away, you end up with twice as much. If you try to hold on to it, it disappears. It is an extraordinary situation where the people who just absolutely push it out get it back tenfold. So that's Warren Buffett. Uh, I, I, I like his, his take. He's a bright guy. And uh, he, he makes sense because uh, it's the truth. You know, the truth is the truth wherever you find it. For instance, all truth, Jesus said, I am the truth. Jesus, I am the truth. And what he spoke was the truth. So if if he, geez, the principles of Jesus Christ or the principles out of the Bible, you find anywhere else, even though they're not attributed to the Bible or Jesus, they're still the truth, Right? It's just like if the guy that came up with a concept of gravity, gravity, before it was a concept, it was a principle in the universe, right? And somebody came up with it, defined it, was that Newton? Described it as gravity, but it was always a force, right? If you step off a ledge, you're going to go down at a certain speed. Whether or not you agree with that or not, it's going to have an effect on you, Right? So truth is truth wherever you find it, even if you don't know how to explain it. So when we when we uh, ignore truth or denounce truth, whatever we do, we're going to get our nose broke. So the San Francisco Supervisors Board they they've now called the NRA National Rifleman's Association. They've called it a terrorist organization. These people down there, obviously, they, they either have syphilis damage in the brain. They, they've lost their minds down there, right? And so they now they now have—they're um, reframing in our language. So a convicted felon, somebody that does a very a felon is someone does a very serious crime. Misdemeanor is a minor crime. Convicted felon is a serious crime— now they don't want to call a person or refer to a person, say he was a convicted felon, right? Even after he's served his time and got out. I look at people different once they serve their time, but they always committed a felony, right? But this, they're not willing to do that in San Francisco. Now convicted felons are justice-involved people. We've sanitized the term. Somehow they think, if you tell me that's a justice-involved person, I'm going to feel better about him than he committed felony. I'm, I'm probably going to be interested if I was going to hire him, not only in finding out the fact that they're a convicted felon, but what exactly they did. Now, probably in the state of California, they prevent me from asking that, but I I would, you know, my feeling is I'm going to do what I thinks best, regardless of whether... It's best or not, Uh, whether it's legal or not. I'm going to do what's best because it's best. I don't care whether it's legal or whether somebody wants to change all the rules. Local official says the new language will help change people's views about those who commit crimes. People who commit crimes are criminals. That's what they are. Juvenile delinquent will now be called a young person with juvenile system involvement. That is just stupid. That's just stupid. If you want to call him something other than the juvenile delinquent, a lawbreaker, a young lawbreaker, I don't care what it is, but to say that is stupid. Drug addicts or substance abusers, meanwhile, will become a person with a history of substance abuse. I, I just can't imagine this is going to stick. Uh this Matt Haney, supervisor down there, says, we want them ultimately to become contributing citizens and referring to them as felons. You know what it is, this whole self-esteem movement, you know, people that are uh, uh, they're misbehaving, and you tell them what a wonderful person they are. That's just stupid, right? What people need to be told is that they could be a wonderful person, and God wants them to be a wonderful person, but right now they're acting like an idiot. Right. The newspaper where this ran in, maybe in the Chronicle down there in San Francisco, the newspaper noted an individual whose car has been broken into could well be known to police as a person who has come into contact with a returning resident who was involved with the justice system and who is currently under supervision with the history of substance abuse. I don't believe a pe- people in San Francisco has lost has lost their brain. I want to mention some folks here that uh we got another we got plenty of time here we got another segment in fact after this but I've kind of run away with this show today and I, I usually separate this out a little bit but I just wanted to mention that uh, Dave Greenett's construction is is a key uh backer of this program keeps us on the air and is is a regular listener gives me feedback so Lou that didn't sound right this week The sound quality was weird need to fix it I I like good feedback and uh, but Dave Greenitz uh, been a friend of mine for many years and and does some of the most amazing work and you can look at it yourself without leaving your house you could just go on his Facebook site of Dave Greenitz Construction Green with E-T-Z on the end, Greenettes, Greenitz Construction, or you could go on his website at greenettesconstruction.com and you can check out the work. Now, if you're thinking about doing an overhaul in your kitchen or bath or adding a bath or doubling the size of your bath, you're not going to find anybody in this region that's any better than these guys, this team of people, all the subcontractors. They're amazing. I know, I know, dave and i know his subcontractors and i know some of his workers they're amazing people they're good they're good characters they have good character and they're quality people they're salt of the earth type people plus they know how to do their work and you can go look at the before and after on those kitchen and baths and front doors and they also do decks and uh, the other practical area that they save a lot because i've been hearing varying Figures, but I've heard everything from 45, 50, 60, 70 percent higher utility bills uh, in California than elsewhere in the United States. And uh, so, when like gas prices, I just in in Idaho, and gas prices here were 75 percent higher. What happens is when things get really high, is you use less of them. And of course, the liberals, the socialists, always want to take a stuff away from you and cause you to be live poorer and that's living poor staying colder can't turn the heat on staying hotter can't turn the air conditioning on but dave Greenitz can put in a whole house fan in uh in your attic and actually make your house stay more comfortable by pulling out the uh the hot air uh and and uh helping your house cool down Thank God it's getting to fall now. I don't have to turn on the heat, and I don't have to turn on the fans. I don't have central, but when you turn on that central air conditioner, man, it's a big motor, and it's sucking that energy up there. So you could have you could have an energy bill of two, three, four hundred dollars, right? And uh, over here in Marysville, if you want to turn the water on, you want to have a green lawn. Hardly anybody in Marysville has a. It looks like Phoenix, Arizona, around here now. But if you want to have a green lawn and you got a pretty good plot of lawn, uh, plot of land with uh, grass or landscaping, hardly anybody has that in Marysville now. No one can afford it. You've got Cal Waters ripping people off, and uh, the city can't even pay for the parks. going can put in a whole house fan and straighten you out. So you could, uh, you can dial him up, and uh, you can, you can go on his website greenwichconstruction.com and email him from there. Or you can reach him off Facebook, of course. You know how to do that, I'm sure. And uh, you can call him at 530-682-9602, 530-682-9602. And uh, also, I wanted to mention Monty Hecker with Elite Universal Security for a couple of reasons. One is uh, Monty has been a consistent supporter of the show here and and it probably does more to put the word out on different social media hey by the way lose up got a new show whatever well so we appreciate monty the other thing is he's been a real fighter for the rights of the the common guy or common gal and so he really pushed the repeal of the gas tax which is really hurting all all of us and uh, really was a coordinator of that locally and helped distribute all kinds of uh, signs and bumper stickers and stuff but he's now uh, coordinating up here the recall of the governor gavin newsom and uh you can you can go sign the you know if you're not willing for instance if you don't like the way the state's going and you're not willing to drive out if you're up here in Yuba Sutter county center you, you don't want to take the time to drive over to sign this petition there, there's petitions elsewhere i have some in my car now but he's at 5548 Feather River Boulevard. You can go there 24 hours a day and sign that petition because it's an elite universal security. They're they they they're just like a law enforcement agency, really. They're 24 hours a day. 5548 Feather River Boulevard, that's just outside the city of Marysville. You can go there and sign to, um, if we get enough signatures, the recall vote will, will go on the ballot to recall Gavin Newsom. And uh, we need to recall Gavin Newsom, and we need to remove a lot of liberal uh, politicians from office in the state of California. Fortunately, we have some conservative guys up here in this area and uh, throughout the state, a few, but we don't have enough. So elite universal security can help you with that, and you could take petitions. I'm taking a bunch. I'm going to have them signed at the church I attend, try to get 100 or 200 signatures there, and— to recall the governor. So 749-0280 is Elite Universal Security, 530-749-0280. They're looking for people that want to work. Uh, they want honest people, good people, people that can pass a drug test that really want to go and make a career. Uh, you may start out just as a, uh unarmed guard at the bottom, but you're going to learn uh, skills, just like I've met guards at the Adventist Hospital who later were detectives and cops, they move up and find an interest, they want to move on and improve themselves. So you can, uh, you can connect with uh, a job over at elite universal security, or you can actually use them to protect your business, or protect your property. Or maybe if you've got a problem on your property, they could help figure out what in the world is going on so, uh, they also do concealed weapons, uh, courses still, even though our, our gun rights are, are falling to hell in a handbasket, uh, they are still offering renewals at their, uh, through their office and, uh, you can sign up to come to a course. The next course is September 28th, 29th. That's a weekend. You could, you can renew your permit on the range or you could go to the classes and get your first permit you've you know possible so you can carry a concealed weapon and uh, so you can just dial them up and let them know you're, you're coming 749-0280-530 area code area code they have them a couple times a month so i'll have the october dates here pretty soon also if you need a live scan if you need a, a mobile if you need a mobile notary they can help you with that as well so uh the final guys uh, is the plumbing doctor. If you need a good plumber, these guys will, will quote you on the job. They're not going to charge you by the hour. It's 530 the plumbing doctor, and they serve Yuba-Sutter counties. And uh, Monty Hecker and his group, they go all the way up into southern Oregon, all the way down to Sacramento area. They're up and down to north, northern California, or what we hoped one day be the state of Jefferson. So night or day, 530 Ted Holmes and the plumbing doctor, they'll come to your rescue. So I, I got an email uh, from a friend who lives over in Missouri now. said, Lou, you've been talking about the Constitution. He said, I'm going to take one of those courses. So he wanted my recommendation on what one to take. And I said, ah, I'm not a specialist on all these people are good. So I've been pushing institute on the constitution.com. I don't know whether well, it's twelve one hour twelve one half hour sessions. I think you can uh I talked to I saw uh Jake Macaulay. Uh he, he and I were talking the other day and and uh he said, Lou, we're gonna be having an online, you can free, just do the free videos online. And uh I'm also playing some of his clips called the American View. You'll hear those on our channel. I'm trying to refer people to these folks because people that are ignorant of their history or ignorant of the Constitution are going to get their nose broke here in the future. Institute of the The other one is Chrisannehall.com, K-R-I-S, A-N-N-E-Hall.com, chrisannhall.com, and Hillsdale.edu. Right now I'm I'm going to do their Constitution course on one of these folks, but I'm also doing the Genesis course right now. It's well done, very well done. And just certainly recommend any of that to you all. So if you uh, frequent some of these businesses when you connect with them, tell them uh, you listened, you heard it on No Hostages Radio, and they may even give you a discount. Who knows? I wanted to mention uh, uh, we we got about a, um, a little over a minute uh, left, and then we'll take a final break, and then we have uh, one other. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, we have, uh, I'm just trying to see my, I think we have one other clip to do, one other section to do. Uh, So I'm going to talk after we come back from the break about why do we still celebrate Constitution Day? What's so significant? Because there's a lot of people, even our politicians, that are saying we don't really need the Constitution anymore. We're smart, and we're just as smart as those people back in the founding fathers' days. And uh, we, and, you know, the Constitution's an old document, and uh, times have changed, and uh, we need to just change it up, right? And we need to come up with something new. It's interesting, no other civilization has, has operated under Constitution, a particular Constitution for as long as we have. In fact, I think it's as short as 80 years, but we're, we're into this couple hundred years now that it's still serving us. So uh we'll be back in a in a minute and uh we're gonna I'm gonna play a little clip uh called Multiculturalism, Good and Bad for America by Michael Perotka. And by the way, Michael Perotka is an attorney. One time ran for president, I think, and also helped start the American way. So take a listen and then we're gonna finish up talking some about the Constitution today. Be right back.
2: The gates of heaven must be open
9: I think I saw an agent just walk by Barack Obama says that America is not a Christian nation. Please listen. Where we once were, we are no longer a
8: Christian nation. At least, not just. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, and a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers.
9: Is multiculturalism a good thing or a bad thing for our American society? You might not realize it, but this is a very important question. The current politically correct viewpoint argues that pluralism, the acceptance and celebration of differing religions, philosophies, and ideologies, contributes to the strength of America. You can see this in a widespread attempt to sanitize schools and courts and courthouses and public buildings and public places of any reference to God or Christ or the Bible. This agenda is based on the notion that we are a more stable, prosperous society because we embrace diversity and toleration and acceptance of anything and everything. But is this really true? Well, those who founded and fought for our American culture and our American form of government didn't think so. In fact, they had a very different view. You're probably familiar with the name Samuel Morse. He was the inventor who developed the Morse code, but his father, Jedediah Morse, was a pretty famous person as well. A Yale graduate, he was an educator who is still known as the father of American geography. His work in that field included a textbook called Geography Made Easy which was used widely in schools and colleges and libraries and thousands of American homes. Here's what he said about the importance of Christianity to the culture and to the administration of government. To the kindly influence of Christianity, we owe that degree of civil freedom and political and social happiness which mankind now enjoys. In proportion, as the genuine effects of Christianity are diminished in any nation, either through unbelief or the corruption of its doctrines or the neglect of its institutions, in the same proportion will the people of that nation recede from the blessings of genuine freedom and approximate the miseries of complete despotism. Whenever the pillars of Christianity shall be overthrown, our present republican forms of government and all the blessings that flow from them must fall with them. Was Jedediah Morse right about this? Asked another way, how is this multiculturalism thing working out for our culture? As we see the role of Christianity diminished in our country, as we see our institutions abandon or corrupt its doctrine, are things getting better or worse for us? When we eliminate all moral standards, when nothing is really considered to be wrong anymore, do we really get greater freedom? Our founding generation fought for and died for something. If we now believe that there is nothing that is wrong, and what did they fight against? And what did they die for? Or did they know something that we've forgotten? Psalm 33 and verse 12 reminds us, As it informed them, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. This is Michael Anthony Peruka for Institute on the Constitution bringing you The American View.
2: I just like
9: one more time
3: All right, so uh, two days ago, or three or four days ago, when you listen to this, September 17th, on the amazing year of 1787, uh, there was a federal holiday created commemorating uh, the signing of the U.S. Constitution. The signing happened on 17, September 17, 1787. 777, right? Uh, and so um, the article here uh, was written, I think, by an attorney. Actually, he was an attorney. He's he's with the Pacific Legal Foundation. So they, their business is to represent people's constitutional rights. And he says, why, should we, why Why is this important? And he talked about how long we've been operating under the Constitution, how wonderful it's been, protecting people's rights, allowing people to have freedom. A lot of constitutions put you in bondage. So he says, uh, consider, he says, a few examples of average people stepping up to defend their own rights. Erica Perez, he said, spent years dreaming of the day when she and her family would own their own home. They invested their entire life savings in older fixer-upper on the south side of Detroit. But when the family accidentally underpaid their property tax bill by just over $100, the city seized their home, sold it, and kept tens of thousands of dollars of their equity. So Erica is using the Constitution to win her home back, right? And hired this this specific uh, legal foundation. He gives a second, he's going to give three examples here of people where the Constitution is uh, is protecting them. Michael Jackson, or Mike Jackson, loves his job in the special events parking departments at UC uh, San Diego. When he learned that the First Amendment protected him against having union dues deducted from his paycheck without consent, he tried to end the payments. But the school told him There's a state law preventing them from giving him any information about his rights, and the union said he was locked in until 2022 to pay them union dues. So Mike is using his constitution to fight back, just like Erica Perez. These are just everyday folks, right? Finally, Peter Stavrionnudakis, I'd say that's a big Greek name, and it's hard to say. Let's just say Peter Stav. He works as a public defender, fighting for the constitutional rights of his clients. All the while, his rights are being violated. Peter is a falconer. You know what a falconer is? The guys that have these amazing birds, and they uh, they develop a relationship with them and use them, and it's a whole there's a whole sport or hobby. Surrounding it, so Peter's a falconer who keeps and flies trained birds of prey for sport. But as a condition of his license to have a falcon and to participate in this ancient sport, California, the state, claims the right to conduct warrantless searches of Peter's home and property. So Peter is using the Constitution to fight back. Pretty interesting, huh? So it's interesting. uh, The Constitution is not the thing that gives you your rights, but the constitution says that our rights are God given. Right. And so we rely on the constitution to say, Hey, 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 people or our schools or businesses or organizations do not have the right to violate and take away my freedom. Right. Take away my freedom. Um, So let me see where I want to go here. Here, I'm just looking at Democrats, Congress. Uh, Oh, here we go. I'm close. I'm just one article away. So I wanted to read. I've been having this on my stack, and I haven't got around to it. And uh, there's a couple of guys john paul wright and mike matthew delisi they're both professors one at university of cincinnati the other at iowa state university they wrote a powerful article titled what criminologists don't say and why what what criminology what what criminologists don't say and why and so i took uh I used to take a lot of sociology courses when I attended college. I never finished college, but I really I really enjoyed sociology courses. I didn't even know what sociology was when I took them, but I took all kinds of classes to try to figure out. I liked the idea of why people do the things they do, why society does the thing that does, what triggers it, what leads it. And so there were... There were some classes in criminology that I really enjoyed. So it says liberal criminologists outnumber their conservative counterparts by by a ratio of 30 to 1. That's not unusual in universities where there's very few conservatives working. Most of the professors are liberal. So he says they're outnumbered 30 to 1. Ideology almost perfectly predicts the position of criminologists on issues from gun control to capital punishment to, to harsh sentencing. Uh, harsh harsh sentencing regarding capital punishment. Liberal criminologists march in step for gun control, oppose punitive prison sentences, and are vehemently against the death penalty. So this is an article by Walter Williams describing an article by Professor Wright and Professor DeLisi. And what Williams is saying is, because of political correctness, we're not willing to call a spade a spade like we're not willing to say that the black community has a lot higher crime rates and they're they're preying on the black community it isn't racist it's just people that are out of control and are not being managed as our founding fathers said they're not being self-disciplined or managed by the spirit of god so in 2012 the national academy of sciences launched a study on the growth of incarceration. It shows that from 1928 to 1960, crime rates rose very slowly. After 1960s, crime rates exploded to unprecedented levels of violence until the 1990s. Prior to 1980, only 40% of, of, of individuals arrested for murder were sentenced to prison and those that were that that were served an average of five years prior to 1980. In 1981, less than 10 percent of those arrested for sexual assault was sentenced to prison. It's amazing, isn't it? Less than 10 percent of those arrested for sexual assault before 1981 went to prison. Those who were sentenced served an average of 3.4 years for sexual assault. Liberal criminologists probably believe that light sentencing for murders and rapists is a good thing. That's what Walter Williams is saying. This is a very powerful article. He said, if criminologists have the guts to even talk about race-crime connection, it's behind closed doors and in very guarded language. They're sissies. Any discussion about race and crime sets one up for accusation of racism, and that can mean the destruction of your entire professional career. Wright and DeLisi say that liberal criminologists avoid discussing even explicit, explicit racist examples of black-on-white crime, such as flash mob assaults, polar bear hunting, and the knockout game. You've seen the knockout game on YouTube, I'm sure. They just walk down the street, and a white guy's walking down the street, and they just sucker punch him. with. There's no provocation. Williams says these are cases where black youth seek out white people to just physically attack them. According to White and DeLisi, dis- disproportionate black involvement in violent crime represents the elephant in the room amid the current controversy over policing in the U.S. All this talk about policing, oh, the racist cops, racist cops. the really the racists in the room are the blacks. That's what these guys are finding. Homicide numbers from FBI... Supplemental homicide reports from 76 to 2005 indicate that young African-American males account for homicide victims at levels that are 10 to 20 times greater than the proportion of their population and account for homicide offenders at levels 15 to 35 times greater than the proportion of their population. Listen, people. Blacks are screwed up in the head, and they're killing their own people left and right. That's just the way it is. They got, they got all the wrong notions about life, and it's their own fault. Black-white gap in armed robbery offending has historically ranged between 10 to 1 and 15 to 1. That means there's 10 black armed robberies for every one. That doesn't mean we just randomly picked a black up on the street that was innocent. That's that's the result of people committing acts and keeping track of who's committing what. It's just like if we were keeping track of who's committing touchdowns this weekend, and we we listed how many black of uh, NFL members committed a touchdown versus how many white. It's just the facts. It has nothing to do with our preferences of life. For all racial groups, violent crime is strongly intra-racial in other words it's it's not from race to race or ethnicity to ethnicity it's within their own race or ethnic group and they call it intra I-N-T-A, intra racial and the intra-racial dynamic is most pronounced among blacks that means that the primary victims of black crime are black people In more than 90% of homicides, for example, both the victim and the perpetrator, the victim and the shooter, the victim and the stabber, the victim of the strangler, are both black. You may not like to hear that. That's just what it is. If you want to live in a fantasy, smoke some weed, stay in a fantasy. But that's what's going on. He says, Williams says, between 1991 and 2017... The nationwide violent crime rate fell from 758 cases to 382 cases per 100,000 population. Almost fell in half, maybe fell and dropped by 40%. said, despite the evidence that higher incarceration reduces crime rates, which it does, the more people you lock up, the less the crime rate is. Many cr- criminologists argue that mass incarceration has actually took minority men out of the neighborhoods. You've heard this. I've heard this. Yeah, the problem is, you know, we've locked up all these black people as if we just drove down the street and scooped them up. There was no charges. There was no trial. We just scooped them up and locked them up. See, he says, so here's the argument. Mass incarceration. In- Incarceration actually took minority men out of neighborhoods, stripped them of their voting rights, destabilized the families, and sapped already paltry economic resources from struggling communities. In other words, if they were out on the street, they could earn some money to support their family. Wright and Delisi say that such say that such claims could be plausible if one believes Contrary to evidence and common sense. In other words, you got to believe a total fantasy of what I just said is true, that that it's it's all just society's fault, and we're we're ruining the black community by locking up all these guys. In other words, what's the alternative? They shoot somebody, they stab somebody, they steal somebody's drug, they do a carjacking, they do a home invasion, and you just ignore it, leave them out on the street. That's what they're saying we should do. That's what these Politicians say you could do. Contrary to evidence and common sense, the career com- criminals contribute positively to their neighborhoods, enjoy stable and functioning families, vote and work. What they did, they in other words, she's saying, or they're saying, they don't do that. What they do in reality is prey on their neighbors. They don't come home from prison. And contribute. They get in trouble. Williams says, crime is a major problem for the black community. But in addition to incarcerating those who prey on the black community, what else can be done? You know, it's interesting. While people argue and argue and I don't know, I was laughing with somebody the other day, how many years the Consortium on Homelessness has been meeting, sucking up our tax dollars, and sitting and having a tuna sandwich and talking, and talking to each other and talking to each other and talking to each other. And what they did is just talk themselves right into a crisis because they, didn't, they couldn't figure out. And that, all we did was pool our ignorance over there. Williams says the answer is easy, though implement, implementation is a challenge. We should readopt the values and practices of our ancestors. What were those? Those are biblical ways of living. Behave yourself according to the word of God. He said black families of yesteryear were mainly too parent and stable, even during slavery. Hold that thought, folks, if you've never been taught that. Black people didn't tolerate proper, property destruction. In other words, there would be peer pressure on blacks who destroyed somebody else's property. It was, it was unheard of. It was offensive. Inoc- it was uh, offensive. There were few school fights, just a few. Disrespect and assaults on teachers were virtually unknown. These are now all too common. The strong character of black people is responsible for the great progress, Williams says, made from the emancipation till today. For a 70, 80, or 90 year old black, Find find one, a 78- or 90-year-old black person, and ask him whether today's conduct among black youth would have been tolerated then. Williams says, I guarantee you that no one, no one would agree with that. He said, I, I, I guarantee that no will always be your answer from that, from that group. It's a different day we have we have given we have fed this problem we are funding this problem. people think, "Oh Lou, you're just negative." I, you know I, I I'll give you an example. We just have a couple of minutes left. I was in a meeting and we were talking on life skills job skills, and just a couple ladies came in. one, you could conclude all three had mental health issues. They would all probably agree with that. Two of the ladies that had been in there for the whole meeting, neither of them had had a job this millennium. They had not been employed for the last 18 years. One said she was diagnosed with bipolar by something. She's a very nice gal. The other gal, no teeth, slumped down in her chair, said her hands hurt, and she hadn't worked in a huge amount of years. We began to talk to her, Phil, my friend Phil and I, about that there were a lot of wonderful opportunities to serve the community, volunteer your time. I mentioned some examples. And uh, they would be able to help other people. And I said, you'd like to help other people, wouldn't you? Yeah, we'd like to help other people, even if you didn't decide to work, right? I said, both of you could actually get jobs. And they said, well, where would we get a job? I said, well, you know, You could be a person that worked on a a phone bank. And I brought up a guy that works in the jail, has worked in the jail for years, and is basically a quadriplegic. And he's in a wheelchair. But he's a drug counselor. And I said, your hands hurt, but he can't feel his hands. They don't even... He can't use his hands. And he can't use his legs, but he drives a car and is able to get around and has a full-time job here. So I said... You wouldn't even need any teeth or fix your hair. You could work for one of these phone banks and just be good on the phone. And both of them were able to talk. Phil and I, as we had lunch together afterwards, we discussed how both of those women were on all kinds of government programs, giving them money. And what did we get out of it after all these years? Two women who didn't think they could, they weren't valuable members of society. They didn't think they could make a contribution. And we spent a little bit of time, and I said, Phil, did you notice how they sat differently at the end of the meeting from when we started? They sat up straight. They looked us straight in the eye. They didn't look down. Because we told them they could do something. And we told them where, where to go get organized and go to rehabilitation, go to this and go to that, and go out there and get yourself a life, Right. A lot of people, and I, I said the guy in a wheelchair could just give up and say, screw it, you know. I made a mistake, drove drunk, drove drunk crashed, but I'm not going to throw in the towel. I have a life. So for years, he's been a drug counselor, and he doesn't have the use of his hands or his legs. So it's just interesting how the government, through giving people money to not do anything, has ruined their lives. And the worst thing they've done is taken away their dignity, taken away their pride of accomplishment, that they can be a blessing. And I told them, I said, both of you could work at our warehouse where we help people with the things we get. But we need people to help organize it, clean it, do all kinds of things, and you can make a difference. So we are doing so much. Most of what government does is not only a waste of time, but is causing us to go backwards. It's a shame but we're just stuck there and occasionally you'll find a really successful person a guy like Doug Eshman who worked at Mary Kovalad school or someone who's running a county or city that's really got a lot on the ball and they are, they know how to get things done and uh, they're wise people but most of the time we just get duds in those positions somebody that's able to to fill in the blanks and uh, run run the city and waste a lot of money to run the city or the county into the into the uh the dirt. So uh running into the ground. So we're gonna call it a day. That's our uh six sessions. And uh again if you want to get a hold of me it's uh seven one three one eight three eight with a five three area code. You want to text me or you could email me at Lou at NoHostagesradio dot com. So just a reminder this week uh we uh if you run into somebody that's new to you make sure to be kind to them because they may be the bible says an angel visiting us and we didn't even know it all right thanks so much and do good to join us here in the palace hotel
5: at this
8: time we certainly hope you all enjoy the show and remember people that no matter who you are and what you do to live thrive and survive there's still